You're listening to Monocle on Sunday, first broadcast on the 5th of September 2021 on Monocle 24. Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Coming up on today's programme, Urs Buller is here. Also, Christoph Lentz has made the journey up from Bern this morning. Good morning. Uh, What have you spotted in the papers, yours or maybe someone else's? Well, like the most astonishing story this this morning in Switzerland is uh, the Anset Saddam Sonntag, um, who is reporting that Pierin Vincenz, who used to be a very like a moral authority, a Swiss banker, one of the most renowned in Switzerland and an outspoken critic of bankers' bonuses, that he himself received secret payments from his own bank, a cooperative bank. So very good. We'll be exploring that. We're also going to be heading to Tokyo to hear from our Fiona Wilson. Hello, I'm Fiona Wilson, Monocle's Tokyo bureau chief. I'll be talking about the outlook for Japan after the resignation of its Prime Minister, Yoshihide Suga. Plus, we'll get a tailor-made late summer holiday set of reading tips from Helsinki, and our design editor will join us from Milan at Salone. Del Mobile is kicking off today. It's the 5th of September, 2021. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brule. And good morning from an almost positively balmy, very sunny Zurich this morning. I'm happy to say we have two sunny faces here. We're going to be going to London in a moment. I hope I have a sunny face there as well. Uh, Urs Buller is here uh, this morning from the NZZ. Good morning. Very nice to see you. Good morning. Very nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, are we are we excited about uh, this extension of, of, of summertime? I mean, of course, you've got always a very nice not sabbatical, but you always have a, a, you know, I think our listeners probably know that you head off to Stromboli uh, quite soon. Uh, but this is probably, I think, good economic news, good, certainly good news for restaurants that we've got this fantastic run of weather. But yes, but the nights could be a little bit warmer, from my opinion. So the days are very nice, but I, I like warm nights too. Yeah, well, we can't have everything you know, <laughs> after September 1st. Uh, as you heard at the top of the program, uh, Christoph Lenz is here, political editor, or one of the political editors. Are you the political editor? Or you're just one of many political well, editors at, at the Tagesanzeiger uh, in, in Bern. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, listen, maybe we haven't seen you for a while. Uh, listeners, uh, he's got shorts on today, so summer is uh, certainly alive and well uh, for you. Uh, but j- just uh, tell us, uh, political season now, we have the Bundesrat is back uh, in Bern. Uh, is it uh, rather rather busy days right now? Because it really feels like it's end of term. People are back at work, and that means obviously uh, everyone is probably pounding the hallways of the Bundeshaus as well. It's, it's, it's picking up. But um, we're not like to full temperature or full speed yet. It's um, Switzerland has a, a referendum in three weeks on marriage for all, um, which is which was expected to be a tight race, but it's not uh, not at all. In fact, we're about probably seventy percent pro marriage for all to open it for homosexuals, and um, so. If it had been a tight race, there would be more, more like uh, electricity in the air, but there isn't that much. Well, it gives us, of course, a little bit of time to focus on others. I'm sure they would love to see 70% for a vaccination rate um, <laughs> in the country as well. But we'll be talking about that a little bit later. Why don't we start with the papers? Uh, at the start, uh, Christoph, you said uh, very, very early. We've got quite a big story in the NZZ uh, th- this morning. Uh, of course, this has to do with you know, cash, uh, of course, arriving into bank accounts or it could be a brown envelope. Uh, 
parked somewhere. Uh, but nevertheless, this is a story this morning, uh, which, uh, as, as you position at the top of the program, a little bit uh, surprising, a bit of good old, I guess, investigative work to make this happen. But give us a bit of context around this. Well, the, like the main figure, the main person in this story is Pierin Vincenz. You have to understand, he comes from Graubünden, which is in the Alps, like in the in the valleys. He used to be for 20 years more kind of an antagonist to all these global uh, bankers and investment banking that dominate Zurich. And he used to be the kind of um, uh, reasonable guy who uh, critiqued uh, bankers' bonuses, who um, didn't want to have a global uh, bank running, but like to do his Swiss banking seriously. And he... Um, he now is like in a in a in a in, in a scandal where um, it was it, we learned that he um, bought stakes in a company he then sold to the bank he was running himself without the bank knowing that he was a, an owner in this company and today we learn that he who used to criticize bankers bonuses he himself he received like off the book payments very substantial amounts uh, publicly we thought he was earning he was making maybe one to two million a year um, we now learn that in one year he made 14 million which is quite a lot uh, like a, a big difference and it's really just um, like a moral authority that is uh, is, is falling and 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 is losing its uh, authority. Uh, is this a story that will run and run, or is this one of these stories that pops up, you know, in a Sunday paper? It is. Uh, it's a bit of good sunny reading. Uh, obviously, a, a figure maybe not taken down, but certainly called out. Uh, what what happens next? Do you think? Well, it will run and run. It will run until the next year because um, uh, the, the like the Canton of Zurich is taking this to court, and he has to go to court in in Zurich, and he will be probably um, found guilty. And uh, he's already spent a, a number of months in jail. So I think um, this is the end of uh, Pierin Vincenz as a public figure. I, I want to bring Andrew Tuck in. I, I believe you are uh, in, in the UK today. I know I'm going to be seeing you in Milan very soon. But uh, where, where do we find you this morning? Good morning, by the way. Uh, yes, Tyler, you find me uh, here in London. And uh, ready to see you. Yes, uh, Monday uh, afternoon, I'll be joining you in Milan. And we'll be talking to our Nolan Giles a little bit later uh, in the program. Of course, uh, Nolan is our design editor, and he is, uh, of course, going to be joining us later and giving us a bit of an update as Salone gets uh, underway. But Andrew, if we uh, maybe just turn our attention to the UK at the moment, what would we find in the or find on the front page of the papers this morning? Well, it's strange, Tyra, because you only think just a few days ago, everything was dominated by the stories coming out of Afghanistan. And there are some stories to do with that today in the papers. John Major, the former uh, Tory uh, prime minister of the UK, saying that he believes it was a mistake to pull the troops out. But really, that, that story has already dissipated. The, the, the main story that's been picked up by two of the newspapers, the, the Sunday Times and the Mail on Sunday, is, is kind of a big story, but when you delve into it, you, you kind of think, ho-hum, this has probably been going on for years, is a story which suggests that Prince Charles was caught up in a, a kind of a, a, a favours for cash uh, scheme where a, a Saudi gentleman was uh, offered and given a CBE in return for donating £1.5 million to Prince Charles. Now, the key aide of Prince Charles, M Michael Fawcett, has announced that he's temporarily stepping down from the Prince's Trust while this is investigated. So we'll see how this runs. But there's always been a sense of 
a bit of horse trading around honours and the honours system in the UK. And I don't know that this is going to stick terribly badly to Prince Charles, but it does seem that going on around Prince Charles, as he's attempted to do some good, he was doing up a building called Dumfries House, that he was being touted around as somebody who would maybe put in a nod for you to get a knighthood if you uh, made generous donations. Uh, Andrew, uh, one story which uh, which certainly popped up at the the start, uh, or we'll probably say middle of the week, uh, was the story around Piers Morgan. Of course, many will know Piers Morgan, of course, as uh, from his uh, his editorial days uh, on paper, also his time on CNN. He was, of course, then uh, uh, one of the co-hosts of Good Morning Britain on ITV. He made some uh, some comments, many com- comments which. Uh, Offended some, uh, but I think many also rallied uh, rallied around him as well. Nevertheless, he was he was put in a corner where he had to either apologize uh, or, uh, of of course, uh, he 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 decided I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to step down. And now there's been a ruling by Ofcom about this, and they've ruled in in his favor. He was just saying what he thought it what he thought, and of course, uh, this was really upholding free speech. How is that story? played out over the past few days and is it is it is it part of the comment pages today in the uk well uh, you you can guess how it's played out on the left the papers have reported it but in in very dry terms and have not certainly seen it as a, a battle for freedom of speech but certainly all all, the, all of the other papers are rubbing their hands with glee now you know he's certainly a, a, a divisive character for some peers morgan some people just cannot stand the man but what's important to hear is that you know he expressed his opinion on TV. It was contextualized by the other hosts on, on, on the day who, who disagreed with him. So it wasn't like he, he got a free reign. And when Ofcom have looked into this, they've said, Look, actually, this is, this is dangerous. If, if you dismiss this man for this, then you're, you're going against free speech. Now, what we also know is that this just didn't happen because if you people made complaints about the, the, the broadcast. In the background, Meghan Markle contacted the head of ITV and said, I want him fired. And she apparently implored to the, the female lead of ITV as, as women, as mothers, we, we, we cannot allow this man to stay on air. So now it was complicated because he did storm off the, 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 the TV set that day, but all good for TV viewing figures. And they've suffered since, you know, fewer people watch it. So we'll see what happens. ITV are saying he will not be invited back. But he was pictured, uh, I think just yesterday, at a cricket match where one row in front of him is the, the head of ITV. So it's hard to imagine that they didn't have some discussion about the ruling. Mm. Andrew, in this context, there was another story. Uh, we uh, we ran a comment piece on it uh, this week, which was also bubbled up here in Switzerland. And I just want to bring in uh, Urs and, and Christoph on this one. And here we had a, a festival, an Albanian festival. At, in, in parallel to this, you know, something which is quite remarkable in, in, in not remarkable in Switzerland, but it would be maybe rather different in, in, in other media markets where you, you've had over the really the past 10 days, you've had media and you've certainly had various government organizations calling out the balkan community uh saying people returning of course uh, you know being in kosovo being in serbia being wherever um of course uh, have had a great summer but of course they've not been so careful with cases and here we had a major albanian music festival um cancelled and and i'm wondering on, on that for maybe crystal well maybe also let me bring you in because you've also been at other festivals elsewhere we'll talk about film and, and other things is this 
in a way uniquely Swiss because I couldn't you, know, you couldn't imagine this you know in in the UK where you have a community who's targeted um, and and called out and now we have a bit of a debate in this country as well um, saying on one side the NZZ your paper you know had had you know a series of, of people commenting saying I'm actually disappointed in my community you know we should be you know more upstanding on the other side people are saying you know this is you know it, it's racist and they shouldn't have pulled the plug on this this festival the day the day before. At the core of this, though, is this also a story about freedom of speech as well, that that media and other organizations should be able to tell it like it is, because that's certainly the narrative that you see around this a little bit. Yes, it is. And I'm, I'm splitted, uh, too, in, in this question. It's very, very difficult to get. I, th- I, I understand absolutely that they did not allow this uh, festival. But I think the, the the kind of communication was not really ideal. So uh, there is a gap between this. I mean, it, it's not really racistic what they did, uh, I would say. Uh, but uh, the way they communicated, it, it sounded a little bit, little bit like this. So um, that's, and that they that also the they, they pulled it on on well the day before, and of course then you have the festival organizing that they were going to take it to court, but the court also said, forget it, this this thing this thing isn't happening. Uh, How has it played out on on your pages, and and do you see that this is almost a, a parallel discussion? You know, again, there is this event uh, which was cancelled. We have this community uh, that we're talking about. But then also we have we have the freedom of the press and to well to to uh, of course in, inform the public, which is of course part of part of the job as journalists, but also the government agencies uh, responsible as well. Well, I find it very hard not to see a kind of a, a race element in uh, the cancellation of this festival. Um, we have had it's um, you stated it we we have like a, um, a, a fourth wave which uh, of, of coronavirus cases which stems from people from the balkan having spent their summer there having um, caught the, the virus and then returning to switzerland and case numbers are growing but then this festival in particular why 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 do you take this festival the albanian one and cancel it while you accept that Pride Zurich takes place uh, the same day in Switzerland, 20,000, 30,000 people in the streets dancing, um, and this festival isn't cancelled. So, yes, there is kind of this element that the, the Albanian diaspora is particularly uh, struck by the virus, but the festival also had a concept where they would only allow people to entrance when they are either tested or when they are vaccinated. So, I... I must say I find it very hard not to see the race element and I find it very hard to understand the decision to cancel only one festival on this weekend while open airs, while Zurich Pride and other um, festivities are going on just as normal. Um, Andrew, from afar, of course, being an editor-in-chief, does this um, strike you as curious because, as we know, this would, you know, not just fill the pages, but this would be, you know, I would say uh, quite quite a severe situation if you had uh, a, a community targeted, called out. Of course, we have seen it from from time to time, but of course, we know that this is very very difficult for for editors. Uh, but of course, if if a government agency is is saying that these are are the numbers, uh, now of course, an editor can choose to to sit on those um, and maybe not not inflame things. But do you think? In an English language context, have we sort of gone too far over the line to tiptoe and uh, tiptoe around things and, and, of course, not offend? And maybe just bring it back to Piers Morgan, this type of ruling that we've seen, does this yeah, open up the playing field a little bit more that there can be a more nuanced discussion? 
Well, I, 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 as we know, Tyler, our feeling is that, you know, away from the media world, these conversations happen every day. People are funnier with their friends. They're, they're, they're more open with their discussion. And, and that goes, you know, not just between people who are of the same race or background or class or gender. People just have an easier way of talking away from the, the, the feeling that they're going to be reported on Twitter if they, they step out of line at all. People are just much more engaged in their day-to-day conversation and for all, all for, the, for the better in most cases. But when it comes to the media, there is this, this over-scrutiny and this sense of being called out. So the good thing about Piers Morgan, he's one of these people that you, you realise he has such a kind of a, 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 a tough carapace that he doesn't really care what anybody says about him. But I think lots of people do buckle under this criticism very quickly. And we've seen some terrible incidents in, in recent weeks of people who have done, tried to do good things, who have been honest people, who've been called out in the media and who've suddenly put out a, a, an apology. I do hope that actually the Piers Morgan uh, case, whether you agree with him or not, allows all people to express their opinions a little bit uh, better. Yeah, again, on that day, he was on a panel with people from uh, diff- different races, men, women, different ages, and they were heckling him on on set. They were they were teasing him. It wasn't without context. So this idea that he kind of you know damaged people's mental health that day, I think, is questionable. And also that does become then an argument you can just use on on every uh, in every instance. I think that on the whole, many of the papers recognise the need to have more debate. And I hope that he has done something for that today. Um, Andrew, some commentators on, on the point about debate, you've had some op-ed pieces and, and everyone is saying, OK, well, let's see if, if Pierce returns to television. But the other side is, OK, Ofcom has made its ruling. And, and when you talk about people sort of buckling, uh, now many are calling for maybe not an investigation, but uh, either apologies or, or people should step down or be reassigned um, at, at ITV, of course, the, the biggest private broadcaster, um, uh, in, in at least traditional private broadcaster in, in the UK. Uh, do you think that will, will happen? Or again, this is something, you know, ruling has been made and things move on? Uh, or, or is there going to be some level of accountability around this? I don't think that Piers Morgan will go back. Uh, I, I think that the, the management at ITV would have to change for that to happen. They have, they have put themselves in such a position that they can't back down now. And indeed, when this, this ruling came out, they didn't say, look, we feel bad about this. You know, we made a mistake. They said, actually, it was unacceptable what he, he said. The only reason that, the, that he's got away with this is because actually there was context given and we'd, we we went into action to to stop him him doing this again so they have not backed down on, on, on their position and I, I just think they've got too much invested in it but it's strange because you know ITV is is a, a broadcaster who at its best appeals to the majority of people it's not like some kind of elite urban broadcaster it needs to connect with ordinary people and I think that when you have this debate with with all sorts of people, they just don't get it. They just don't understand why he was thrown off and fired. They feel that everybody should have the right to say what they think. I just uh, maybe want to bring everyone in here, and this is maybe a bit of a bit of a progress report. Uh, we're in. Uh, well, we're coming to the end of uh, the first week of, of September. 
Just a bit of a, a mood check, um, how things are feeling. Ursula, you've been uh, you've been traveling at film festivals. There seems to be a lot of discussion right now. Are we going to be moving into a dark autumn right now? Things, of course, being cancelled. You see sort of entry restrictions being ratcheted up, etc. Uh, your take, we've got the film festival coming up um, in, in Zurich. Uh, that seems to be uh, going ahead. Plenty of posters and things around. Uh, and of course, you know, you're very connected Ursula, to the hospitality community here. Um, what, what's the feeling? Yeah, talking about the film festival, well, they, they want to make a full festival like like always. They want to have the COVID, how do you call it in English, certificate or the COVID pass. So if you have this, you have, will have no restrictions in places in the cinemas, no masks and so on. Uh, I'm not sure yet uh, if this will really work, but I talked to the director last week and he is very sure that they can do it like this. So I saw um, four film festivals now this year. Uh, I started in, in January in Solothurn, that is a Swiss film festival. <laughs> there was just an online uh, edition. Then I saw Neon in Switzerland, also a documentary festival. There was hybrid online and some people, but it was very sad. I mean, not many people uh, in front of the screens. And then uh, I was in Locarno. And there it was really uh, coming back. You say you can say cinema was coming back. You were on the Piazza Grande and you had 8,000 people there. So it was really like we are coming back to life. So I think these film festivals are a little bit like a, a test of the society. How can we get, come back mm. uh, uh, to normal, as you call it, life? And now the Zurich Film Festival is... Uh, is ahead and uh, we just I, I am just not sure if they will have the, this capacity they they want mm. but they are sure they can do it yes it's a certificate you have some you have something in your hand, of mm. course. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you bring up a point, I mean, Christoph. So this, there's there's big discussion. The papers are all saying today that we're going to see an announcement probably on Wednesday in Switzerland that to enter gyms, restaurants, the you know pretty much anywhere in sort of the enclosed spaces, etc., that you're going to have to show some type of COVID pass. I mean, this seems to be a very open open secret that we're we're going to hear about. Uh, it does. It, this, of course, is driven because Switzerland has to to move on on the vaccination. Um, rates as well, but but a sense that is this sort of the, the the last sort of step again that the government has you know at their hands right now before potentially moving towards another dark autumn, or is it very hard to put the genie back in the bottle when people know that others are not vaccinated? You know, this of course this is what's impacting the healthcare system. How do you how do you read it right now? It's it's uh, ex exactly as you say. Like the federal councillor or, or our federal council has this one last means of pushing people to have the vaccine. Uh, the certificate, which isn't mandatory in most of the places up until now. And we already see that the announcement that they're considering the, the, the certificate has already pushed people to go to get the vaccine. Um, and I think we will see substantial uh, new rates of vaccination during the coming weeks. But then like the, the question you are um, your question goes to it has a different element as well like the, the dark dark autumn is, is there a dark autumn coming up and I think we are talking a lot about technical things like is there a mandatory certificate or not we're not talking enough about do people feel safe when they go into a cinema because what you mentioned was like the Piazza Grande in, uh, in Ticino it's like it's an open air event people feel okay but throughout like the whole summer we saw that in indoor uh, events 
people don't turn up because they don't feel safe because they don't feel um, relaxed enough to have to have fun to to go to concerts to go dancing or many don't many uh, artists are complaining that yes we, we we can go on stage again but th there is just no atmosphere and and i think this is the, the dark autumn that we're uh, headed to and i think it's also um because politics hasn't been able to like give our faith back in the system and and give give like um, allow us to feel safe in in these places and maybe i think the certificate will probably help in fact um it will keep certain um people out who who don't want to get the vaccine or don't want to get tested but on the other hand it will help you feel safe because you know it's, it's probably sure nobody else has the virus in here mm. and this will um increase with the, the coming months because we all know like the vaccine it it, it it loses part of its power and you get you get you still can get ill and after a couple of months the the the, 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 the it increases like the probability that you get ill and i think that the certificate will in fact help us get through autumn even if it's a bit darker um, than what we were used to um, before the pandemic um, Andrew, just before you um, head to the news, uh, when you think about, the, of course, the theatre community, the cinema community um, in London, anecdotally, any type of uptick um, as well. So, of course, given, um, of course, the, the superior vaccination rate that, that the UK has, for example, does that create a climate of, of confidence? Are, are we seeing that when we think about these environments, of course, that, that both uh, Christoph and, and Urs were, were discussing? Well, it's strange the numbers tick up here, but nobody seems to comment on the, on the numbers at all now. And everybody just seems to keep a wary eye on, on daily deaths, which actually fell yesterday, I think, to 13, which for the UK is, is seen as a good thing. I, I think it's very hard now. Very few people with masks now. They're not required anywhere. Even like two or three weeks ago, people did wear them when they went into a shop. They've disappeared there. They're meant to be worn on the London Underground. They've kind of vanished there. We are, we are having a push also for these passports, but it's so complicated. It's like they're saying you definitely need one to go into a football match. But meanwhile, apparently only one in three football players has so far had any vaccination whatsoever. So how does the FA deal with that saying, yes, you can play on the pitch and you can run around with each other? and have no vaccine but if you want to sit in one of our stadia we won't let you in unless you've had the vaccination so there's many many problems to do with it but they are pushing ahead with it here too andrew tuck always with our sports update uh, thank you very much uh, for that we'll be coming back to you at the end of the program uh, to talk a little bit uh, about milan we'll be uh, joined by our nolan giles then uh, but first staying in london emma nelson is there with the news thank you very much indeed tyler fighting has continued between taliban and opposition forces in the panjshir valley north of kabul meanwhile kabul airport has reopened to receive aid and to restart some domestic flights within afghanistan the iranian president has said iran is ready to hold talks with world powers to revive its 2015 nuclear accord, but Ibrahim Raisi has warned this will not happen under Western pressure. And in Britain, members of Parliament have been instructed to smarten their appearance ahead of the start of the autumn session. M Speaker Sir Lindsay Hoyle has alerted MPs to, require to the required dress standards, including clothing such as jeans and chinos, are not allowed. And those are the headlines on Monocle 24. 
Emma, thank you uh, very, very much for that. Just uh, tell me, you, uh, we need your take uh, on on that. Uh, I mean, of course, I think we, we all believe that everyone uh, should be smartening up their act, especially in Parliament, because also you're not really sort of saved by the fact because there's cameras everywhere in the House of Commons. Uh, so you, you can't just be a situation of, of where you're dressing, um, yeah, from the rib cage upwards. I think this is a, quite a reminder that um, the, the tracksuit bottoms have to go away, um, as as do the off-the-shoulder dresses. There was an MP about six months ago who... Who, who who stood up and as she spoke, her dress slipped. So by the end of her speech, whatever was said was completely ignored because everyone was looking at this sort of rather sumptuous shoulder and, and full bosom. Um, and I think it caused quite a quite an upset. So it's quite nice that people are actually going to be told to, to get themselves back together again. It is in keeping with the, the thing that Andrew was talking about earlier. People are now diving just straight back into into the world again and we are having to learn how to go to work and having to wear clothes properly again. Uh, Christoph, I need to bring you in. So are, are there unwritten house rules at the Bundeshaus, uh, uh, of course, uh, for, for parliamentarians in, in, in Switzerland? Because I've been to Bern quite a few times over the past few weeks. And you know, it's, it's a pretty jacketed uh, affair. You, you, you see people going in, coming across the street uh, uh, you know, to, to a bistro or a restaurant. And you know, they're normally in a jacket, jacket and, and tie. They are, they are but they're, they're being lifted. A couple of years ago, there was a a kind of a scandal because a journalist, a female journalist of the Ansett said she was expelled from one of the parliamentary uh, sessions because she was uh, showing her shoulders. She, she had a nice dress, but her shoulders were visible for the uh, for the members of parliament and they asked her to be expelled. And um, since then, I, this uh, particular rule for journalists and for ladies has been cancelled. Um, what hasn't changed is that in, like the in the Senate, you still uh, need to wear a tie as a as a man as 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 a male, but um, uh, clothing restrictions for ladies have um, have have been cancelled, and there are no restrictions concerning masks uh, at the moment either. And Emma, just we, we've had this conversation before. We know this would definitely not fly in the United States, where it seems that, of course, you know, if you're going to be a female anchor, it's it's all it's it's always bare arms in the United States. It's all about the guns, um, and it's and it's this really strange <laughs> thing because they look like they're not going to just, I don't know, meet you in the corridor and and smell slightly a fake tan. It looks as if they could absolutely take you out and take your head off. <laughs> what I find though even worse is the is the newsreaders who don't cover their arms when they haven't got guns when we have you know what what is politely referred to here in the united kingdom as bingo wings we don't need middle-aged upper upper arms on the telly i'm afraid i have strict (laughs) rules on this i really do there's nothing nicer than a cat sleeve yeah i i I would i would tend to agree men and women uh of course Uh, emma nelson london thanks very much for that uh it's just gone uh, 1734 in tokyo it's 1134 um in helsinki uh where we're heading now i'm very happy to say that uh, tere jeskalainen uh is joining us she's the co-founder of nide bookshop in the heart uh, of the finnish uh capital uh good morning hello good morning thank you kiitos Kintos to you. Um, very, very, very nice uh, to have you. I was, I was in Helsinki a, a couple of weeks ago, um, and uh-huh. again, it was just one of these wonderful days. The sun was out; it, it, you could smell 
autumn uh the the birch mm-hmm. trees were 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 rattling and and again you know we've been talking about of course the the, the restart of, of of cities uh all, all over um the world and you got this this feeling because summer holidays were over uh and mm-hmm. and there was there was a, you know there was a, a very very positive um mood now some fins mm-hmm. of course might still be going on uh, on summer holiday uh, as as the days yeah. get get a bit uh, shorter so if we went into your bookshop um today mm-hmm. uh, tell us yeah. uh, maybe both from an English language context, but also from a Finnish context, uh, what what are people picking up in in fiction or nonfiction? What would what what are what what or at least what are you navigating people towards? For at the moment, yes. Uh, well, at the moment, I think of course the new uh, new season of uh, autumn books are coming in. So you know, people really they read a lot nowadays when they spend a lot of lot more time at home. But, uh, well, uh, lots of new writers from Finland, which are really popular at the moment, but also like uh, lifestyle books, international lifestyle books. And one one section which is really important for us is poetry. People read a lot of poetry. And in general, I would say that the selection that we have in our store is not like in other shops in Helsinki. So people do come and get, like, there are not poetry books as much as we do have. So, you know, lots of uh, uh, lifestyle books and and poetry and and uh, also Finnish writers at the moment, but also international writers in both Finnish and English. Now, of course, uh, listeners uh, around the world... Uh, Maybe you're a bit fatigued by it, or maybe they're also uh, sitting listening to this, thinking, "Okay, uh, we're talking to a bookseller uh, in in Finland, so we we also have to maybe touch on the world of of Nordic noir. Uh, of course, if there are any outstanding thrillers, or, or are you seeing any um, amazing mer- uh, emerging authors um, in in sort of the the, the crime space? And and may- maybe let's stay within Finland's uh, borders. Uh, can you point us to uh, to any authors? Uh, yeah, in in this. Uh, Nordic noir space uh, who, who are really on on the up at the moment? Well, I must admit that we don't sell so much uh, so much crime and Nordic noir. I'm sorry. So we don't have we we sell more um, more of uh, of uh, novels, other novels, and um, and. Um, and very seldom we we of course listen to our customers so if they want to have something we do order for them but in general i think the majority of the um, of nordic noir for example is sold in other stores like bigger chain stores than ours we do expertise in some um, more not so popular writers if I could say. Mm. Ted, just tell me, you, you talked about ordering things uh, for customers. I wanted to maybe talk about the state of, of the book business um, at, mm-hmm. at, the, at the moment. Uh, obviously, there are, of course, a number of, of major players, of course, uh, in, in the book selling space, uh, global or, or European or even domestic players um, of, of scale. Have you noticed with your your community, uh, of course, people who are coming to to your shop across the week. Um, that rather than, of course, I mean, of course, they might send you an email, or are they actually coming in and saying, as you said, we don't have this, but they want to support you. They want to be seen to be, of course, yeah. supporting an independent yeah. store like yours, rather than just saying sitting at home and uh, and firing off a couple of orders, of course, to one of the the bigger global players. 
Yes, a lot. We do that. We we see that a lot. We have a very strong uh, regular customer circle, but also, you know, during the COVID time, they have, they especially made it uh, their business to come into our shop and order from us or buy from us, which is really, really nice. We do have an online shop also, but it's very small and we cannot compete with Amazon or or even finish bigger uh, online shops. So, but anyway, even though we have a little bit uh, higher prices and they will maybe have to wait for a little bit longer to get the books, they would still prefer to order from us. And that, this is something that we are really, really grateful for. Uh, and just tell us quick. See that a lot. Just uh, tell us quickly on on the periodicals uh, front. So when we look at mm-hmm. uh, magazines uh, and and of course uh, m- maybe titles uh, which are again not not so uh, commercial. Uh, what what are you, what are your maybe your your top five either in terms of what's been selling uh, or mm-hmm. or certainly your recommendations for for people who are coming through your door. Yeah, so we do sell a lot of uh, magazines, international magazines, also Finnish. I think. At the moment, we have had very many really interesting Finnish independent magazines coming up. So they have been really popular. But also we do sell a lot of international magazines, which we uh, try to get ones that are not sold uh, elsewhere in Helsinki. So like, for example, Apartamento and um, uh, Gentlewoman and uh, Sidetracked. Uh, the rake for gentlemen and uh, quite many fashion titles and uh, kind of general cultural titles like Kinfolk is always really popular and serial but also a little bit more specific ones but as book wise um, the Japanese the book on Japanese culture and also uh, Japan writers Japanese writers have been really popular during the late last years couple of years and they still are very, very strong. Uh, yeah. Terry Askalainen uh, from Anita Bookstore in uh, Helsinki. Very, very good uh, to talk to you. Uh, just uh, before we go, we're heading on the topic of Japan. We're heading to Tokyo in a moment. Uh, Urs, I'm going to put you on the spot. I don't know. Maybe you're just going to say you're reading all of your books and you go to Stromboli. But has there been a best book of summer for you so far? Um, maybe it it is a new uh, new cookbook of uh, Otto Lenghi. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not remembering when exactly <laughs> it was published. If it it's was, it's it's, it's newish. It's it's newish. It's uh, it's called Flavor, I guess. So I cooked a lot in this summer about with this book, and it's it's a great 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 edition. I think. Christoph, you? Well, as summer is just starting, I think my best book of the summer will be the new uh, novel by uh, Sally Rooney. I was in uh, Donegal uh, this summer, and it was well. She's from Sligo, I think, but I was in Donegal, so it was kind of um, already... I was already looking forward to her new novel because there was an excerpt in the new in New Yorker a couple of months ago, and I think there is nobody who can write about love like she does. And so it'll be out next week, I think. I won't be here next Sunday, I think. Very good. Uh, just ten forty-two here in Zurich. As I said, we're heading to Tokyo. Seventeen forty-two uh, there uh, right now. Our uh, Fiona Wilson uh, is standing by for us. Uh, good evening or good afternoon, Fiona. Hi, Tyler. 
Uh, it's been a bit of a busy news week uh, for you. Of course, uh, you've been talking about it uh, for a while now. Uh, but of course, we saw the uh, the Tokyo stock market uh, go to stratospheric heights. Uh, I think that some of the highest levels we've seen in, uh, if not two, maybe maybe three uh, decades. But of course, we saw, uh, we of course, heard, um, and it was, of course was announced that uh, the Prime Minister Sugu would, would be would, is stepping uh, stepping down. Um, Give us the the Sunday uh, talk program fallout from from all of this so far. Hi, Tolly. You're absolutely right. I think the uh, the fact that the markets reacted so positively to Suga's departure suggested he made the right call, didn't it? Um, yeah, I think Suga today. You know, the situation is that it's really the top brass of the LDP. That Suga's party. You know, they're all jockeying for position, rallying behind their candidates. I think tomorrow we'll really see who's emerging. You know, we've already had a couple of people definitely saying they're standing. Fumio Kishida, former foreign minister, he already put his hat in the ring uh, as soon as, uh, you know, before Sugo had actually resigned. But he was he was right in there. Sanai Takaichi is another one. She's an interesting one. I wouldn't say she enjoys a lot of popular support. If she won, she'd be the first woman prime minister. But she's really, you know, she's a right wing, uh, a fan of Margaret Thatcher. But she she apparently has the support of Shinzo Abe former Prime Minister, which surprised me a little bit. They're very aligned um, ideologically, but uh, I was quite surprised he was making noises about supporting her. And we have, you know, Tara O'Connor, who is, I think, the popular choice. He's he's currently in charge of uh, vaccines. So it's interesting to see he's reportedly going to stand. But, you know, you just, you don't know. There's a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes goings-on within the LDP because, you know, it, it all depends about winning over these, these famous factions within the LDP. It's not about who's the best candidate. It's who the party bigwigs want to be running the show. And, and how much sway uh, does uh, Abe have, of course, given uh, the length of, of his reign and, of course, uh, is uh, is a serious uh, figure? Uh, is this going to count for much? And I guess and then I'm also wondering how much lobbying then are we seeing, you know, in the background, uh, you know, in, in the middle of all of this? Well, I mean, Abe still is head of the biggest faction within the LDP, and they sort of vote in blocks, really. So, you know, you, what you have to do is win over these blocks uh, of votes within the LDP. So, yeah, he's still very, very important. And I think a lot of people feel that Abe and Taro Aso, who's the finance minister, really were starting to put pressure on Suga. Suga was talking about standing just at the end of the week and then suddenly changed his mind. And I think a lot of people felt that it took a couple of uh, big names within the party to say, sorry, you're not standing. I think uh, politicians, certainly in the regions, were saying we, we could lose our seats if Suga is running the show when we go into this general election in the autumn. So I think he was under pressure. And yeah, these, these uh, you know, characters like Shinzo Abe are still very, very important. And tell us if, if we look well, look, looking forward, uh, new, new PM goes uh, goes into to place. Is it, in a way, a continuation of the same narrative? I know we're talking about Japan here, so we're not going to be expecting anything radical. But if I if I look at, of course, at, at the the Japanese population, of course, where things have been over the course of the summer, the the very you know mixed feelings, uh, if not uh, negative feelings, around the Olympics. Okay, fine, delivered. Paralympics, uh, of course, wrapping wrapping up today. So does that also feel like that's a chapter which is 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 closed uh on one side and there is this move forward moment uh or are we still going to be dwelling in a lot of the similar issues and of course yes we have a country right now with with states of emergency and in, in many prefectures uh, so so what has to happen fiona yeah i mean i feel you're absolutely right you know i think the olympics finishing paralympics closing today 
I think people feel it sort of went okay, but there will be a sense of relief that it's done and dusted. It's just taken up so much energy talking about it, debating it. Really, it's shaped COVID policy, which people feel wasn't the best move for Japan. Um, and I think now, moving forward, once that's done, I think it's all about focusing on COVID, which, you know, Suga said on Friday that he couldn't stand to, as prime minister because he had to focus on COVID. And I did think, well, <laughs> hasn't that been your job? Isn't that what you're supposed to be doing? Is it not possible to do both, you know? Um, but, yeah, I think for, for whoever takes over, yeah, it's, it's what, a, what a tough job. I mean, you've got to deal with, yeah, we've seen rising infections. And also you've got this general election coming up. It has to be pretty soon, you know, it's coming up in the autumn. The four-year term is up. So it's a, I have to, it's a very difficult job. I think many of the uh, front runners might not want to take it right now. It's, it's very difficult. But, you know, as you say, you know Japan. The LDP is just the status quo. They are the dominant force. They've barely been out of power since 1955. So even if things look bad, you still expect them to uh, to lead the government. You know, it's a coalition government, but, you know, they have, they'd have to be very, very bad before they were actually uh, booted out of power. Mm. Just uh, if we look forward a little bit, or maybe if you just sort of peer out, peer out your windows. The state of emergency is on. We had a, a colleague uh, of ours visiting from, from Japan this week, and she was talking about just you know, the, the effect of, of, of restaurant closures, uh, the fact that you, you, know, you, don't have, you can't consume alcohol, all of these different things. You know, and in contrast with you have this announcement, of course, that you know, Suga departing, this has a very positive effect on the markets. But if we look at, at the market in the real sense, if we do a bit of a retail tour, you know, this should be the golden moment, of course, uh, especially when you look at the department stores, the power of, of course, the Japanese fashion brands. Uh, this, is, this is the moment, uh, of course, for, for retailers where they really have to, to be trading uh, and, and clearing racks of all of their, their fine goods that they have. So if you look around, Fiona, what is the state of, uh, of, of retail right now? Because it, it does, you know, from afar, it feels a little bit uh, subdued, even when you look at the, you know, all of the Japanese magazines that we know and love. Yeah, I mean, it's so tough, the environment for retailers. It's incredibly tough. We've pretty much in Tokyo been in a state of emergency since January, small period when we weren't. And that, I think, just the psychological weight of that, it's kept people away from shops. Now, I think a lot of canny retailers have really been pushing online. Um, you know, some that never had retail online have, have started up or, you know, they've, they've switch to that but it, it has definitely you know really subdued the uh, the retail scene i think that's been incredibly tough for restaurants it's been absolutely impossible you know being told that you can open but you can't serve alcohol you've got to close by this time really really difficult and you do see quite a few empty shops or shuttered restaurants so i do wonder what will happen once the dust settles when we emerge from this you know and this, this talk about extending the state of emergency which is now emerging is really difficult. And I think uh, what I'm noticing in Tokyo is that many restaurants now are quietly just avoiding the regulation. They're quietly serving alcohol. They're staying open a bit longer. People are just fed up. They, you know, they want to see an end to this. This relentless sort of state of emergency is, is disastrous for the economy and I just think for the sort of mental health of the population. 
Fiona Wilson, uh, our bureau chief in Tokyo, thank you very much for that. Urs, I just want to bring you in um, just quickly, and this is not about <laughs> rule breaking, etc. But one thing we, we didn't we didn't maybe cover a little bit earlier when we look sort forward to to autumn as well. Do you think it's very difficult um, for for the restaurant trade to go back? I mean, you know, we have this sort of looming threat of lockdowns again and 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 whatnot. But does it become a little bit politically untenable now to say that you're going to go and close all of this up again? when we have a vaccine, when there's a certificate, et cetera? Is this um, maybe a bit of scaremongering uh, that, that is not very useful? Yeah, I'm not very concerned about the restaurants, actually, to, to be honest. I think they, they will do good. They will come back in a, in a good condition. They don't have to fear that they well, will be closed again. I'm, I'm really much more uh, concerned about the cinema, the cinemas. Because uh, when you say now it's very nice weather, <laughs> for the restaurants it's it's a good uh, message, but for the cinemas, uh, they really hope that now they can come back and people are going back to cinema. And um, I don't know, uh, the guests will certainly get back to restaurants um, next year. Um, many of them will really want to eat out. But uh, I'm not sure if they will come back to the mm. cinema. So. Christoph, just quickly, obviously, there's been a lot of discussion about, uh, yes, you know, aid and support uh, for the, the cultural artistic community here as well. There's also a lot of discussion that that train is pulling out. I mean, the government has, of course, given its grants, etc. cetera. Uh, many, as you're saying, saying it's the situation hasn't improved uh, that much. Do you think we'll end up seeing other tranches of, of money uh, assigned or is this really... Yeah, this is a little bit of a, a shut case at the moment because uh, it, it certainly bubbles up in the papers, uh, if not every day, every other day. It's becoming more complicated, in fact, because like the, the aids we've seen so far, they were they were argued for, or the, the argument was, the government is stopping us from working. Government needs to pay us, um, and now with the certificate and the vaccines around. It's very unlikely that we have a full lockdown or we have even like to, sh to shut down the restaurants or anything. So um, on which basis do you now support artists who in fact could um, could perform, but maybe the public doesn't want to go out and enjoy the music or enjoy theater because we still have the virus circulating. Mm. It becomes difficult, but in the end, um, all of the all, at least in Switzerland, all they did so far was just uh, try to secure the industry to get through it, and they will lend a hand if they need to, um, to 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 uh, if it's the only thing that helps. In fact, but I'm uh, just as Wolf, I'm not very concerned about the restaurants. I I don't know if you saw the the debate of the German chancellors um, or like the three candidates for for Germany. Last Sunday evening, all of them, even uh, the, the Green uh, candidate, Miss Baerbock, who was like very restrictive, pro-cautious um, um, measures, even she ruled out uh, a, a new lockdown. So I don't think we will see that this winter. Mm. What we will see, though, is... Um, uh, hospitals full, um, uh, virus continuing to circulate, and this has a negative effect on the economy as well. Mm. Um, let's then just uh, maybe keep our eye on the economy as well, but an economy a little bit uh, further south uh, from here, that would be the Italian one. Uh, Salon del Mobile, uh, of course, the, the, the most important uh, design event probably on global calendars uh, was uh, cancelled, uh, and then it's had to be rescheduled a couple of times, but it is, it is underway, and I'm very happy to say that uh, our design editor, Nolan
Nolan Giles uh, is in Milan this morning, giving us the view from there. Good morning, Nolan. Good morning, Tyler. How are you? Very well, thanks. So tell us uh, what is underway at the moment. What is the mood? Of course, we've been talking about this for a while. Would the world show up or if not the world uh, has has Italy and maybe have the neighbours shown up? Because, you know, this is really it's a headline event and probably by European standards, a number of things, of course, are underway at the moment. Uh, We have the auto show coming up in Munich. We've got uh, we have MIPM coming up in in Cannes over the coming days. Uh, But this is really the first big, you could say, economic, you know, industrial powerhouse event uh, that that has bounced back. What's the view from there? For sure. I mean, judging by the amount of people at our space here in Brera, where Monocle's done a collaboration with a furniture specialist, system specialist, USM, and Rosignoli Bike Shop, uh, the city is very busy. There's people here pumping up uh, their bikes because it is a bike shop still, uh, drinking coffees, buying the Monocle uh, Salone weekly newspaper, and, uh, yeah, they're from all over the place. I mean, just going further afield, I haven't just been sat here uh, drinking espressos. I've been out and about, and there are a lot of international people, actually. Salone Domobili themselves, the organizers, have organized a, a big trip for a lot of U.S. journalists and U.S. interior designers. It kind of means they're beholden to the, the brands and the companies that are funding this event. But it, it is good to see so many uh, Americans here, lots of Japanese too, funnily enough. Uh, there's a few brands that are kind of debuting products here, and they are here uh, showing off their wares uh, and willing to go into quarantine for two weeks when they go back to Japan. So doors are open in Italy, uh, and, and things are looking good. Yeah, which is quite a statement if you're willing to, to make your way to, to Lombardia and then go into quarantine for two weeks when you get back to Osaka or wherever you've, wherever you've come from. But Nolan, just to tell me, when we, when we look at, at an event like this, it's, um, of course, anyone who knows uh, the Salone, a lot happens in, in the city of Milan showrooms, uh, pop-up spaces, warehouses get get transformed. Uh, you know, obviously we're there working with a retailer as well. And then of course you have what, what lies beyond in the traditional um, trade fair grounds and, and there's something, you know, going on, on there. Is, is there a sense that this is, of course, it's scaled back as, as we know and, and, and should it all have maybe just focused on the city centre? Because when it's a smaller version, splitting it between two venues, that seems to be a bit of a debate around this. Mm, no, I mean, I haven't headed over to the trade fair. I'm going to go there straight after this. And we have our journalist, Nick Neath, on the ground there. But surprisingly, because I, I did feel that maybe coming here, it was a little bit for the journalists and for the Italian companies. But I've been surprised, really, by the efforts that uh, people have gone to to come here from the industry. And actually, the trade fair, which is this year dubbed Super Salone, and it's kind of a pared-back version of, of the typical trade fair where you know new co- companies show their new chairs, designs, whatever. Um, a lot of people are planning to go there. They've made it a little bit more cost effective to go there. And like I said, the fact that it's a bit smaller means that it's a lot more easy to navigate. So I think there's definitely an emphasis on quality over quantity, which really this event should be about. It's, you know, essentially it, it came from a furniture trade fair. It became in recent years something more of just a kind of a mega marketing event for any brand that could sort of brandish the word design in their marketing efforts. And I think this year the, the focus has gone back a little bit on the trade, on furniture, and, uh, and designers and architects seem to be pretty happy about that.
Nolan Giles, our design editor uh, down uh, in Milan at the Salone. We will be seeing you this evening. Any listeners uh, who are also uh, in that stretch of Italy will be having uh, an event uh, in Brera this evening uh, from 1800 uh, onwards. I will look forward to seeing you then. Uh, that's all the time we have for today's program. A big uh, thanks to Urs Buller uh, for being here, Christoph Lenz, Andrew Tuck, Emma Nelson, uh, also to Terry Askalainen at NIDA in Helsinki, also our Fiona Wilson in Tokyo, Nolan Giles, of course, who we just had in Milan. Also, today's producers were Emma Nelson and Marcus Hippie. Our studio manager in Zurich was Julia Clavens today. And in London, we've had Nora Hall. I'm Tyler Burley. Monocle on Sunday is going to be back at the very same time next week, hopefully uh, under sunny skies. Also, we'll be having updates from Milan across the week uh, with our Nick Manise uh, and Nolan Giles. Have a very good week. Goodbye. Goodbye.